Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. In this episode, we're going to talk about how I started my YouTube channel, how it all came about, what was the the benefits, what was the challenges, what I see that's going to happen in the future. We've got loads lined up. We've also got some of your questions from the Facebook group. Thanks so much for keep growing that. Uh, We're absolutely loving interacting on there. So make sure you are checking out the Facebook golf podcast group. Um, Search golf uh, Rick Shields podcast in Facebook and you should find the group. You've got to be invited or apply to be added and then we'll invite you in there if your face fits <laughs> i'm here with uh guy as well producer guy you're kind of gonna quiz me a bit today aren't you i am so obviously i know the story or a lot of the story of how you became the man you are today wow <laughs> how you became a face <laughs> on youtube with over seven hundred thousand subscribers and one really really good facebook group um <laughs> But yeah, I thought it would be interesting for the listeners. Some people may have, because you've done a few obviously like kind of interviews as such in like magazines and things like that. And we sometimes, you will discuss it in like a Q&A video, which you sometimes do on YouTube. But I thought it'd be quite good. Well, I've got some time today to sit down and actually let the listeners know a bit more about you. Um, you know, a little bit more about how you got into golf, but probably more importantly and probably the more exciting most exciting story is how you developed the channel and how the challenge like you said the challenges you had but also where is it gonna go where's the ceiling is there a ceiling so let's start off with how did it start how did you start playing golf oh wow we're going that far back let's briefly okay so i started playing golf when i was 11 um i had no interest at all until the age of 11 and what happened was i, I was a keen footballer or soccer <laughs> uh, player uh, not particularly very good but used to play for school used to play for a club team as well and really loved football it was a, a massive Did man, you have a position massive man united fan i'd like to think myself as a winger right, okay. but i was a slow one <laughs> So I wasn't the fastest winger, uh, but I had a mean tackle on me. I, I should have probably been right back, but I seemed to always manage to go more up front. I was more about scoring goals and defending, but uh, I got sent off quite a number of times as well, going through my school uh, record. Um, I think I was possibly one of the most sent off school players. <laughs> Ricky Razor Shield. Yeah, I used to chop people down. Uh, and that maybe I, I didn't bother. St- I've got a scar on my leg. 
that came from a, a horrendous tackle I did when I was just playing a friendly match with some mates out like at a park. And it, that's kind of always a bit of a war wound. I, I say to the girls, my kids, uh, that daddy got... Um, Attempted, like, got shot at with a bullet and I had to dodge it. It just missed wow. my leg. But truth be told, I, I, <laughs> I scraped it on a bramble when I went in for the dirtiest tackle that I've ever done. But unfortunately, injured myself you, more than injured the player. Can you remember your football boots of choice? Predators. Oh, yes. Adidas Predators. Nice. Probably should say some Nike f- football <laughs> boots, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, uh, anyway, long story short, my, my mum got me into golf. She had um, been bought a lesson. And she went down to a local driving range. It's called Douglas Valley Driving Range. It's near Chorley, northwest England. It's now called Chili Dip Driving Range, which I believe is a an American term, Chili Dip. It's like a bit of a, like a swing like a, fault. It's like a bit of a yippy yeah, movement, I've apparently. Heard that. So this driving range is called Chili Dip, but it used to be called Douglas Valley. She went down for a lesson. I got dragged along as obviously an eleven year old kid. I think I might have just been ten actually. And as she was having a lesson, I, I got put in a driving range bay, never trying golf before in my life, and got told to basically entertain myself for an hour and uh after that hour i kind of cheesily say it's the the most influential hour hour of my life after that hour i suddenly became weirdly fascinated and and hooked on golf i don't think i did particularly well in that hour but i just wanted to smash drive i wanted to see how far i could hit it and to some success i'm sure many people do on the first time and i'm I feel like the golf gods as well mm-hmm. give you some level of hope the first time you ever try golf. You get you hit a few, don't you? That like you get out of the middle or they go quite far. They hit the hundred marker or whatever it might be. It's a bit like poker. I always remember playing poker with newbies, and the newbie always did great. Yeah, because they don't know what they're doing as well. They, they know just what they're like doing. A flush or something. Exactly, and it's almost like the way that the 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 sport or poker gods work out that yeah, we're going to get you hooked yeah. and then for the rest of your life you're going to lose money but basically with golf I, I got hooked in that first hour my mum also really enjoyed her lesson I, I don't know who it was with I'd love to give a shout out to the pro but I don't know who it was at the time and um, anyway that continued for maybe five or six weeks she had she had lessons I went down to driving range hit balls and over time just really started to get hooked and was like okay so what's next like I've been to driving range and, I, and now I want to go and play golf so um at the time, my mum was, again, just learning. So a family friend of ours took us to the local golf course and, you know, give us a bit of an idea of what to do out in the golf course. So it's kind of me and my mum learning together. My mum really wanted to join the golf course. She had some friends that had joined a golf club called, club called Heart Common, which is in West Horton, where I live. Um, little golf course, 18-hole golf course, um, pretty cool little practice facilities, driving range, etc. And she joined uh, there wasn't many lady members there, so she very quickly became um, quite like up with the lady members, etc., to the point where she was lady captain like two or three years after being a member. So anyway, that summer, I turned 11 in July, and as a surprise, my mum bought me a membership to Heart Common, which nice. I think cost £105 at the time. And I was just like, oh my goodness, this is the best thing in the world. So literally for the next 12 months, well, if I'm honest, for the next five years, I lived at the golf course. Uh, used to play loads of junior golf there. Loved being a junior member. Suddenly golf took over from football. You know, I got my first hand. I think my first score ever was 120 the first time I played, which, you know, I was over the moon with at 11. In hindsight now, possibly not as good as I want it to be. But well, You only break 100 now, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> just... <laughs> hey listen i've gone down 20 shots in, <laughs> in 20 years that's not bad a shot a year um <laughs> so yeah uh 
you've stopped reading. So it's quite from what from what you're saying, it was quite the similar story to myself. It's quite the almost a traditional way to get brought into sport. You have a family member or a friend who plays, you start playing, and I think from the stories we've shared before, you had a very similar kind of upbringing at the golf club to me your mum was there you know you'd go all summer holiday and you'd practice you'd get some food for you lunch you get the bus down to the golf club yeah 36 holes a day special you know maybe get a chip balm or chip butty or whatever play a, bit of, play a bit of pool yeah exactly so then that's quite normal a lot of juniors kind of do that but also a lot of juniors get to 15 16 decide they want to start going out and the old cliche of meeting girls or meeting boys or you know whatever and drinking alcohol etc so how did you then go from that kind of 14 15 year old to really wanting to, to drive it drive it as a career i think the thing that that led me down the path was that out of the junior members at the club i was one of the better players so i think when you're one of the better players you instantly start to you know get supported and pushed mm-hmm. by members etc saying oh yeah if you carry on down this route lad you're going to be a world beater you're going to be one of the best players in the world and all this so you know as a young kid you get kind of sucked into that a little bit and at the point of time, it was probably about 15, 16, where school starts to push you into the, oh, what do you want to do when you leave school? What mm-hmm. do you want to do when you're older? And if I'm honest, I never, you know, bar the fact that maybe, and it sounds ridiculous this now saying it, but I had a bit of an interest in becoming an electrician. Wow. I know. So um, I wanted to become an electrician. Long story short, that's kind of what my dad did. And uh, so I was like, yeah, that might be the pathway I want to go down. But Truth be told, I never really had a passion for it. So at 15, 16, you never really want to say you want to be a professional golfer because certainly in that day and age, I think it's probably changed a bit more now. I'm not saying that day and age as if it was years and years ago, but 20-odd years ago, it was kind of, you know, put in the same bracket as I want to be a professional golfer, a footballer, or I want to be a pop singer, or mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a fantasy job, yeah. let's say. It wasn't a real-life job. You know, at the time when I say it to maybe my mum, she was like, yeah, but what about other options, you know, or said it at school, um, and they'd be like, yeah, but it's not really a job, you know. <laughs> um, but in fairness, it was my mum that possibly even said, right, if you're going to do it, let's, let's go for it. Let's see what we need to do. So at 16, I decided to go to college. I went to Mysco College in Preston, where um, I studied golf studies, uh, which I didn't even know was a qualification at the time. So that was that was um, eye-opening for me. Worked under uh, Rick Daniels, who was the head um, head lecturer there and still is there now, really nice guy. And for two years, I was surrounded by golfers, similar age to me. Um, and that's probably where I did all my um, partying. That's yes. where I did all my going out, you know, meeting girls and all that and getting all that out of my system between the ages of 16 and 18 because I lived away from home Monday to Friday. It was like the best thing in the world. Yeah, and it's quite interesting for our listeners that are from, you know, from the US because obviously the drinking laws over there are 21. 21. I don't know. I, I, from when I've been to America, I know it's quite strict. You often get ID'd even if you're like 40 just because they want to make sure and, and see your ID, etc. But over here, although it's 18 to drink alcohol, certainly go back 10, 15 years, it was a lot easier to get into clubs. If oh, one of ridiculous. your mates had an ID that was a bit like off um, Superbad, McLovin, just a bit of a fake one, they'd let them in and then just let the mates in anyway because, well, one of his 18, just get him. So you did that quite early on, which is, is good in a way because you didn't then quit golf at 18 to 20. You actually stayed in the game. Yeah, and, and you know, there, there's some regrets I have around that and the fact that, I genuinely believe if I if I had that time frame, that sixteen to eighteen, if I'd have really knuckled down with my game, I would have been a better yeah. golfer. But I still don't reckon I would have been the best. I don't. I wouldn't have been on tour. I just don't. I didn't have what it took to be the best player in the world at all. And and you know that's. 
identified so early on with the best players in the world, like Rory McIlroy at, at six or seven, yeah. he's on TV shows and being yeah. headhunted by Nike. And, you know, they, yeah. they want him early. Tiger's a sample of that. Unless you are a, a bit of a, an anomaly like Colin Montgomery, who came into the go- golf game at 18 and weirdly picked it up and was fantastic. You've really got to be young and be headhunted and be the best, yeah. not only the best player in your club, You've got to be the best player at your county, the best player at national level. And you've also got to try and compete on a world level, yeah. which is the things I just never did. I totally agree. I think the only thing I would say, and this is looking back at my own time in the sport, is that I think when I was 15, I was a, a four handicap. So not, you know, not a, a record breaker. I used to play in tournaments that Tommy Fleetwood would play in, and he'd be off like plus one or scratch, and I was at least five shots worse than him. But actually, in reality, a lot more than five shots worse than him. And obviously, look at where Tommy's got today. The only thing I would say is I, don't, I wouldn't ever want to discourage any youngsters that play. I mean, you've got to be realistic in your expectations. But equally, I look back and think, well, if I was off four at 15, if I'd have honestly practiced and grinded for the next five years properly, driving range three or four times a week, playing really good lessons and taking it properly seriously, what would I have been like at 20? Now, that's still quite old compared to Rory, who played in the Open at, what, 16, 17. But, you know... It, it's never too old, but equally you have to be realistic with your expectations. But I wonder, like yourself, if you had have grinded from 16 to 20, seriously, what? who knows? Yeah, and who knows? You're right. I think I think the, the thing with golf, and it goes back to what you just said there, there's nobody is ever going to tell you you're not good enough in golf, I don't believe. You've almost got to figure it out yourself. Yeah. Where in football or team events, let's say, if you're not getting picked by the coach, it's blunt. you know you're not good enough. Yeah. Like, that's it. If you're not making the first team, and if you're not making the progress, and if you're not being headhunted by Man United or City or Liverpool, yeah, exactly. you're not good enough. And I think one one thing, again, never want to discourage anybody, certainly youngsters, you should you know always aspire to be as good as you can be. But one thing you do see at club-level golf is that you see players who are far better than I am off plus one or plus two who might win the club champs every year and, you know shoot the odd 64 or something at the local course, which is ridiculously good level of golf. But in the actual grand scheme of things, at European tour level, at even challenge tour level, it isn't actually... And and that's fine if that's somebody that's maybe in the mid-20s who works part-time and plays a bit of golf because it's a serious hobby. But it's just... It's like we said the other week on about the, the European tour qualifying school. It's a, a different level. And did you say one round then? Yeah, exactly. You multiply it by yeah. four rounds. Yeah. Let, let's say, let's say I had the best round that I could have done. Let's say I'm playing in the BMW at Wentworth, right? Mm-hmm. And I shoot the best score that I can shoot, which realistically one under around that uh, yeah. golf course like that. I'm not being too ambitious, but around about one under. Four rounds of golf, and that's if I play four of my best rounds around a championship golf course, I'd be four under. Yeah. Compare that to Danny Willett yeah. that won at 21 under. That's ridiculous. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have made the cut. No. I wouldn't be there for the weekend. And that's me playing my best, and that's those guys that's playing one week correct, of the year. Correct. So, yeah, so basically at that point as well, um, I was 16 to 18. I kind of, you know, had a great time, parted, you know, went out lots, enjoyed my golf, met with some of my good friends who I'm still friends with now. Peter Finch was there, Andy Carter, uh, Sam Miller, and a list of other, you know, people I still have really good close contacts with. Um so coming out of 18, I'd finished college and I was ready to, to work. I, it, I could have carried on for six years at college and gone to university as well. 
and a lot of people did, but I'll be honest, I didn't do well enough to continue. So I came out, and if I'm honest, I'd had enough. At 18, I was ready to earn some money. Yeah. So then, obviously, I know the next step. You went to go and work at the Mir in Cheshire. Yeah. And you were essentially doing what a lot of young, good golfers do. You work in the pro shop and doing hours in the shop and doing some coaching as well. Obviously, the Mir is a, a really nice kind of resort course as well. So there's a lot going on there, a lot of activity, a lot of corporate days. So you were obviously very busy. Was that for four, five, six years you were there? Yeah, that was 2004 to 2010. So that's six, six years. years. So then where I think this story gets really interesting, because without wanting to dismiss those six years, you obviously learned a lot, but it was kind of the normal story, wasn't it, as such? Yeah, I did my PGA. I yeah. worked under a, a couple of really good pros, Peter Eyre, Natalie Adams, and learned a lot. And also learned a lot from the members there, because a lot of them were very successful. Yeah. A lot of them were business people. And um, the old saying that the Bentley there was like a, a Nutsford Mondale. Yeah. Everyone had Bentleys. Everyone was very aspirational. And, and it drove me uh, to yeah. continue to to try and evolve my business. So that's interesting then, because in one way at the time, this was long before YouTube and Twitter and Instagram, etc. So you didn't necessarily learn anything about your career going forward in that regard, but yet maybe, you know, you actually learned that if you work hard, things will come. You know, the, yeah. a, lot, a lot of these people who live around them here, would you know, be the houses are, you know, the self-made and I'd say self-millionaires. And I think the difference from what I see when I've been to Mia, although it's not obviously anywhere near as many times as you have, it's not like a pretentious atmosphere. It seems to be real people who've worked bloody hard, who've got a lot from it, and they're still down-to-earth people. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's interesting that that was instilled into you at quite a young age. Yeah. And then obviously you went to go and work at Trafford Golf Centre, which is where the story really kind of kicks off. Yeah, and the, the only thing, in just at one point before I left me, the only, the only social media I dabbled with was Twitter. Yes, and I always remember setting up a Twitter account. To be fair, I had Facebook as well, but that was more of a personal page. When I set up Twitter, I always remember I was spending a lot of time on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And one of the other pros said, why, why are you wasting all your time on Twitter? And at the time, I didn't have an answer. Yeah. I didn't have a clue because I was like, well, I don't know, but all the big celebrities are on yeah, it. Yeah. All, the, all the businesses are on it. All the companies are on it. It's going to be something in the future. I don't know why I'm doing it now. And still to this date, right this minute, I've never received a check from Twitter. But I know for the 15, or not 15, 10 years I've been on it potentially, it has hurt, earned me money in different ways. Yeah. So you're right. I wanted, to be fo- I wanted to pursue my goal of becoming a teaching professional. So I moved to Trafford Golf Centre in 2010. There was three pros there already. I slotted in as the fourth pro, one of the busiest golf co- ranges in the country, and I wanted to become the busiest golf coach in the country. And I worked really hard for that. Um, I already had a small client base that I'd built from Mia, started to coach at Trafford, and uh, just loved it. It was full-time coach. I didn't do shop hours, and I went crazy. I went, you know, so in you 2010. Were six, seven days a week almost at Trafford, Yeah, exactly, right? yeah. I had no kids, I had a girlfriend at the time, my wife now, and uh, just worked my socks off. And did you work, obviously, long long hours, and it can be, obviously, cold there? Uh, 100%. Can be... we, used to, we used to start coaching at 9 and often finish coaching at 10 p.m. at night, so, like, 13 hours of coaching with, like, maybe 10 minutes to eat my lunch if someone was late for a lesson. That That is grinding, isn't it? I, like... I was coaching for... How many hours is that now? That is, uh, one second. I just got to calculate so, out here. <laughs> I was doing 12 hours a day, five days a week minimum. And then at a weekend, I was doing another 10 hours. So 70 hours a week coaching. 
Now, at first, when I was there, I was there for 70 hours a week, but not 70 hours a week coaching. You were trying to get new clients. I was trying to become 70 hours a week coaching. So uh, I was building a nice client base, but I was thinking, you know what? I I want more. I want to be as busy as I can possibly be. And one of the things I noticed from lessons that were coming to the range was when I asked them, where do you come from? It was like, oh, I'm around the corner. I'm in, I'm in Davy Hume. I'm in Stratford. I'm in Salford. I'm this in is Eccles, like 20 minutes, in, yeah, within 20 minutes, within 15, 20 minute radius of the driving range. You know, that, that was the clientele that came to the driving range. So I was thinking, hold on, there's a lot of bloody people in the UK that want lessons. Why, why are only these people coming to the range? And one thing that listeners who are, again, from the States or something might not know is that where Trafford is, it's in Manchester, UK. It's one of those, I can't remember the stat, but something like quite a large percentage of the UK live with like an hour commute because of it's got amazing transport links of coming from the south, certainly kind of the southwest area, the northeast, the north, etc. You can get to Trafford realistically. I'd say within an hour and just over an hour, yeah. a lot of people can get to Trafford Centre at yeah. Manchester. Yeah, the actual, you know, you, you reach out a little bit further and suddenly there's a big catchment area. So I wanted to cast a big net, basically. I didn't want to just catch the, the local people, which, you know, that was fine, but there was four coaches there, so there was only a certain amount of local people. And obviously people go to their golf clubs for lessons as well. So the first thing I wanted to do, and I always had this dream of being in golf magazines. I always wanted to be one of the top golf coaches in golf magazines, and that was something that I really tried to aspire to. So the first thing that I did was sent a a message or an email at that point to every single golf magazine that I could think of. Today's Golfer, Golf Monthly, Golf Punk Magazine, Golf World, the list goes on. And I wanted to be one of their coaches. Now at the time, in hindsight, I had no no real value to add to them by the fact I was a lot younger than the pros that were currently in the magazine. So let's say Matt Fryer, a good friend of mine, his dad was in the magazines and still is, fantastic golf coach, been coaching for years, been coaching out on tour, real solid credentials, which is worthy to be in the magazine. I was coming at it with a different angle, that I'm young, I'm fresh, I'm cool. (laughs) 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 One of the cool kids, all right. Um, So I was trying to come at it with that angle, and I'll be honest, Every single magazine knocked me back. Yeah. You know, and I, it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, there was no hard feelings. I wasn't, I was just like, okay, that's fine. I understand it. It's one, of, I, I took a punt and it didn't work off. That's fine. So I thought to myself, well, why don't I just freaking do it myself? I was a massive YouTube fan. Can you remember, this is a quiz for you. I've got up the channel now. What date you joined YouTube on this account, Rick Shields Golf? 11th of May, 2012. No. <laughs> Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Good guess. It was actually the 13th of October, 2011, which is coincidentally around the time I first actually knew you. Well, it's around the time I'm talking about yeah, now. Yeah, exactly, because well. I, I used to work at the American Golf Trapman store while I was studying at university, and I started there... Um, well, actually, probably about, probably about mid-2011, mid mid to end. And I remember my first memory of you was, obviously, I would have seen you a few times, but I remember you walking up to the American Golf Counter, which is where I was working, and you had the iPhone 4 or 4S. It was the first one that had Siri. Um, I remember. I've had yeah. every iPhone. Yeah, it was the first one that had Siri. The first one. And that would have launched. I'm, you know what's weird? I think that would have, because obviously iPhones launched at the start of October. And I'm pretty sure that would have been about 2011 as well. So that would have literally been the exact time. I always liked having the new stuff. I know it sounds ridiculous. It's not me being pompous. I worked hard, so I wanted to treat myself to the new iPhones. I was always intrigued with technology. So that's, I always liked to be the first person to have these type of phones. So how weird is this, right? So I, that's my first memory of you. That iPhone launched October 2011. And you got it when it was new, hence why you were showing it to people. And you started your channel on the 13th of October, 2011. So it was all down to the iPhone 4. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I was at that time, I was a massive YouTube fan. I used to watch people like Philip DeFranco, um, Dude Perfect, and a number of others. What I noticed, there was a lack of golf creators. Yes, there was Mark Crossfield, was probably the one that I remember the most. There was me and my golf, but very little in terms of creators. Not many, that is it really? Like no, two in there was literally world. two. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to do something different because at the time I was a golf coach at a driving range. I wanted to be busy. So I started doing coaching videos. And that's very interesting that you started a YouTube channel not to be a YouTuber because it didn't really exist massively back then not at in all. terms of monetization and being a career. You started YouTube to then get busier as a golf coach. And I think for me, what stands out about that and maybe not what we don't see so much anymore is that you were in it for a reason that wasn't necessarily to be a YouTuber. So your drive and your commitment wasn't necessarily about subscribes and views. It was about getting more customers. Correct. More my, clients. Correct. My payment, let's say, from from making content was someone ringing up the golf center or some, someone messaging me saying, can I book a lesson with you? Yeah. That was my payment because that's all I wanted. And that's, you know, that's changed a lot. Now, for new YouTubers creating content, 100%. there's definitely a different slant, which I don't agree with. It's this kind of monetarization. They want to make money from it. My reward at the time was I'd get people booking in the diary. So anyway, I started making content. I uh, didn't have a clue about making content. Can you remember your first video on the channel? I've got it up again here now. 
the actual first video that's still current that's on still my channel. Still current, not. But I don't think this was my first video. It's a swing from me above. Yeah. That's so thirty nine thousand views. So I bought a PlayStation um, webcam, hooked it up to my computer, cut a hole out in the um, what do you call these tiles like in the, the like a si- yeah ceiling tiles. Climbed up, fed it through, because I wanted to record video from above, so you can see you swing mm. from above. This was at Trafford at the time. Uh, that was one of my first videos that's still on there. And another video, a good friend of mine, Brandon Grace, who is now a European tour player, he was based in the UK. He was actually based at Mir when I knew him at Mir. He came to the Trafford Centre to practice, and I recorded his session because he wanted to send it over to his golf coach in South Africa. And I put that on my YouTube video, yeah, my channel. Is that number two? That's at five point six thousand. If you're, that's crazy, isn't it? if you when you get chance, you might be driving. But people, when you get chance, go onto Rick's channel, watch the oldest video, and just comment here from the podcast. And let's see if you can get it to forty thousand views from thirty nine on the first ever video. It's ridiculous. Yeah, you just go on videos, put date order, oh, videos order, date added oldest. <laughs> um, yeah, and and then ones. we get to video number three, which is the famous. Yeah, welcome to Rick's. Well, I'm gonna, let me play it now. See if you can hear this audio. Today I'm going to show you how to grip the golf club correctly every time. Very common mistake I see with a lot of golfers. Wow. Hi, I'm Rick Shields. I, I, I don't even know how I can do that voice now. You Hi. sound different. I do. Well, it's <laughs> puberty. That was seven years ago, so 2012. So basically I didn't have a clue what to do. I had no video experience. I had no editing experience, nothing. So I hired the services of a editor, videographer, which I must admit charged me an absolute arm and a leg. It was ridiculous. But I thought, well, okay, if I can make 30 videos out of you today, um, if I can make 30 videos out of you today, this will pay for, hopefully, enough clients that come through the door to make it worthwhile, right? So I took the punt, I paid him a fortune, and he had the savviness to not make 30 videos. We made six videos. Um which <laughs> he wanted more money out of you. Yeah, basically. So he had he recorded, edited, uploaded six videos, and they're only short. The longest one was two minutes twenty six. Mm. How mad's that? That is great. That's, these are some of the shortest videos I've ever released. And the I I always remember the first video I ever shot. That one that I was just telling you about, bump and run with the seven iron. Right. I'd set up. I got there super early. I had about ten different outfit changes because I wanted some all to look different day. I went to Highley Golf Club in Nutsford, just down the road from Mia. Set up on a on a um, a hole and nailed the first tip chip and run nailed it first take this cameraman that i had that I hired was said all right okay that was good let's do it again mm-hmm. i was like all right how come yeah i just um i just think you know that the audio wasn't maybe as good as it could have been so i was like right so <laughs> i did it again and then suddenly you say oh um there's a lawnmower on three fairways down the road, down the way I can hear him. I'm like, right. Next time I do it, oh, there's a plane up in the sky. I'm thinking, oh, for f- <laughs> I'm like, for God's sake. I did it first time. Why are we messing around? But the naivety of myself at the time, I was young, I was, you know, inexperienced at all this. I wouldn't have been as confident to go, no, I'm happy with that first take. Let's yeah. roll with that. You didn't know better, did you? I just trusted this was this is what YouTube was about. This was what recording content was like. So anyway, long story short, that went all the way through the day and we filmed six videos after frigging retaking every single one of them a hundred times. And the more retook them, the more I lost confidence. Because I was thinking, oh my, like, where if I did the first time, I was so much more confident. Anyway, I did these six videos, pushed them on my channel. They, they pretty much flopped. <laughs> but I got some views, which was nice. They, they've, they, currently, they've got 
uh, and they still wouldn't have paid for themselves. Now, 17,000, 18,000, 39, 30, 15, uh, 13. So they're not great views. But from those views, I always remember it clear as day. I got a phone call from someone in Newcastle, rang me up. I won't do a Geordie accent. No, I don't. It'll only go down badly. Hi, Rick, I've seen you on YouTube. I love your chip and run video, let's say. Uh, can I book him for a lesson? And it was like... That makes it all worthwhile, doesn't it? Bingo. Bingo. I've managed to make a video. Yeah, it cost me a fortune to make them. But somebody from outside of the normal catchment area, somebody who shouldn't know who I am, somebody who has to drive past 200 golf pros to get to me at Trafford, is coming for a lesson with me. And I was like, here we go. I wonder if that guy, like remembers it and knows that the channel's still going and everything. I know. I wish I'd... Uh, I, re- I remember Let's them. try and find him. Yeah, I remember them. I remember everything that happened, but I can't remember his name. I reckon if I look back on my files from Trafford, I could probably find it. But straight away, I was like, holy smoke, this is this is phenomenal. This is like different level. And that continued. That continued and continued, continued. And then start of 2013, I decided to branch out into a new strand of content. This was a big step because this is, for me, when people think of the channel, there's, there's two real main elements. There's Rick Shields as a golf coach and Rick Shields reviews golf clubs. And this was when the second element really started to, to take a life of its own. Yeah. And I, I'll be honest, I was a golf coach, you know, th- throughout, you know, um, what's the right saying? Through and through. I was a golf coach through and through and through. That's all I thought that mattered. That's all that I considered as being important because that's what I was. For me, equipment was just a bit... Uh, I was quite negative with mm. equipment, if I'm honest. Um, I had really old golf clubs myself. I had some ping golf clubs that I'd had for Do a Do you have an I-15 driver, I feel I like? I-15, I-15 three-wood, S-56 irons. Uh, I can't remember what wedges. Ping redwood putter, big ping tour bag. Like I must have got a deal when I was at there <laughs> for ping clubs. 30 and, off trade. Yeah. And then, um, so I, I kind of thought, okay, well, there's options here to maybe do some club testing. Because I felt like I was in a perfect position. I didn't work for a retailer. Yep. I had a launch monitor, which was a flight scope. Mm-hmm. I had access to equipment through American Golf. Yep. And I could test golf clubs. And I think what's weird now and what's crazy is that this sounds like obviously the logical step and everybody does this. It's what happens on YouTube. People review golf clubs. But at the time, nobody was really doing it. Certainly not with, with numbers from a, from a launch monitor. I, I was giving numbers first. And that's like... At the time, that would have probably people thought this is weird watching a guy hit golf balls. But yet, how it's become such a staple of like golf YouTube culture. How it's how it's and it sounds ridiculous. How it's changed the landscape of of golf marketing, yeah. equipment, equipment manufacturing, the way that products are launched. You know, really did change it from the start of two thousand thirteen. And what was nice is that I could say what I wanted. There was no yeah. restrictions, and it still is to this date. And I think that is why you were so successful. And also, I mean, it's hard to monitor this, but how it really did evolve and, and, and other people started doing it. Because again, you weren't working for a store. If you were working for the American Golf, there's no way they would have wanted you to say, this new Ping Three Woods rubbish. But you could because you were independent and it didn't matter what you said. Yeah, no, it, it was a, it was really good. And like I say, I enjoyed showing numbers. And I, and I actually became very um, f- quickly super interested in new equipment yeah and i always remember um yeah obviously then i was starting to get 
really good numbers. Brands were starting to reach out to me because they wanted to get me custom fitted. They wanted to tell me about the new products. They wanted to get me the products early. And that, again, that relationship stayed the same. I've never charged any brands. I've never charged any manufacturers for product reviews. They just, all I ask is if I can get the products early, give me information and, and I'll do what I want after that. Yeah. And that stayed the same for seven years, six years, seven years, which is crazy. That's what we obviously, you know, did the Watson Bag video the other day and, and the beauty of this channel and, and your independence is you don't take any pay. But some people try and interpret people it in think different ways. People think that I'm suddenly getting like treated. Yeah, I don't. literally. We, because of the, the, the I think my way how I say this carefully, but because of how big the channel's got, brands don't necessarily treat us differently, but we obviously get the product we need in as in a, the time frame that we need to review it ready for when the product can be talked about but we have very very little to do with the brands we keep so it as we literally and it's actually gone since i've been working for you the last two years it's actually got less and less it used to be a case of brands would come and see us at the academy and present us the products now we literally ask them for a tech sheet send us a tech sheet if there's anything that's massively new technology give us a call we'll give you half an hour let's hear what you've got to say we don't even really meet them face to face very often I don't, now. I don't go on fancy media trips. No, never. And granted, I, I did do. Yeah, I, I, there was a time when I, I did go through media trips, but suddenly realised, well, hold on, this, this is somewhat of buttering up. Hundred percent. You know, being flown over to Connecticut for the TaylorMade yeah. launch, being put in these fancy hotels and all this, and you know, a media company a brand still do that now with media events. But I've we not been on one for, not, for four years. Not hundred percent. Obviously, since I've worked with you, it's just two years. I don't. I've not been on a proper media event for four years because. There is a level of, you know, um, control that they want to have over you. And suddenly if they've flown you out somewhere. Exactly. And I just think, well, what's the point? I don't and need to be... I've done enough traveling now. I've got young children. I yeah. don't need to travel around the world. And and the beauty of where the channel is at, is at now in terms of subscribers and views and your opinion is, is held in high regard. If a brand turned around and said, well, Rick, you either come on this trip and get the driver or you don't get it all, we say, okay, we don't get it all. We'll buy them when they come out, and then we'll tell people that we, we bought it. And it's, it's yeah, we'll just it, do, we'll do the same review. Yeah, it's but, just maybe a, a week or two later. Yeah. So it doesn't it doesn't change anything for, from us now. And brands are cleverer. They, they want to have it on the channel. There's no there's no you know we get we get sent so many products that we don't review because they they want too much from us or whatever. So it's like just keeping it clean. I'd say we review twenty percent of what we get sent. Yeah, exactly. And it's not for the fact of not reviewing more it's the fact that we need to review what's interesting what's yeah. going to be you know interesting for you guys so yeah there's a lot on that so just a quick one that kind of wraps up in some degree of where you know how you started youtube how you got into it how it became the channel it is today and that's given everybody a good i think and, and by the way now we're 1600 videos later yes exactly it's just ridiculous because well, I, I don't even want to put what was the views what did we just hit recently uh 200 million uh, just over actually and what was the minutes watched again what was that number oh, in the billions it worked, wasn't worked it? out i can't we're not going to handle basically all the minutes of the channel watched equals over 2200 years 1.2 billion minutes yeah. watched of my ugly mug <laughs> Poor you, poor you guys. <laughs> and then, so, at what point did you kind of? Can you remember? This is a good one. Then, so if, if you look at like PewDiePie, who's one of the world's most subscribed channels, he's still got videos. He's got 100 million subs now. He's still got videos where he celebrates like a thousand subscribers, and it seems ridiculous Massive. when you think about it now. But actually, it wasn't because he was an ordinary, still is an ordinary guy, but he was an ordinary guy who got to a thousand subscribers. Can you remember a, a milestone? Is there anything that stands out where you thought, wow, and now to look at it's almost 
I don't want to say laughable because it should never be laughed at, but it looks, you can't believe you celebrated it, if that makes sense. Uh, you know what? A lot of milestones. I you remember a thousand. I remember a thousand because wow. that was bloody hard. Yeah, I can imagine. To get to a thousand subscribers, I honestly think was the hardest thousand. And and then from thousand to 10,000 was ridiculously hard. Mm-hmm. I remember like properly celebrating for like 10,000 subscribers. Yeah, yeah. And it's ridiculous now. Some weeks we get ten thousand subscribers, yeah. so it's like it was it was mind boggling. And every every milestone because it, there was no blueprint, there was nobody you know doing this so far. Bar the channels I mentioned before, every single milestone was like a massive achievement, and it felt it just felt so rewarding. It gone and all. By the way, at this point, let's fast forward a couple of years. I was now the busiest golf coach in the country. Yeah. There was no question about it. I was for those seventy hours. I was at the driving range. I was full for 69 and a half hours. I really was. Um, and so I completed my target of being the busiest golf coach. And I loved it. I absolutely, you know, I, I was with my wife. I proposed. We were planning for a wedding. We hadn't had children yet. You know, I wanted to graft to make money to pay for all this stuff. It was late nights, editing till all hours. Correct. And, and it's what people, you know, miss that, yes, as much as I was, you know, um, coaching for 70 hours a week. I was also doing mm. all of my own filming and editing of the content. Wow. Which is like, <laughs> is crazy to think of it now. I don't even, when the hell did I sleep? I actually you, don't know. You ca- you're catching back up with your sleep now though, right? My heck, I've got freaking three <laughs> kids. I never bloody sleep. Um, I honestly don't like, it was just drive. I was passionate about it. And if I'm honest, I'm a, I was addicted and I still am now. St- yeah, still I'm are. addicted to, to, putting out the best content. I'm addicted to analytics. I'm addicted to thinking of new ideas. I'm addicted to being the first at something. And I think what one thing that we obviously talk about quite a lot, and, and you're certainly passionate about this, is that because YouTube's are such a strange beast, if you like, and it's still so new, you never take it for granted. So as I'm looking now, I've got 700,000 subscribers. But yeah, it, hopefully it will never happen. But YouTube could just be gone tomorrow. Whereas, you know, if you'd built up a successful let's just say a car business or whatever. I know every business has struggles and, you know, has to be sustainable, but it's such a strange business to be in that we, we, and certainly you never feel complacent. You never have that complacency. We're always looking to hit the next milestone or hit the next views milestone, subscribe milestone, whatever it might be. And I think because of that, that's why we are I think seeing the success that we've seen and that you've seen is because you're never going to stop. You can't stop. I honestly think evolve or die. Yeah, it's we've got a saying up on the wall here, which is a Charles Darwin uh, saying. I don't want to read it all, but it's it's around the fact that you know you've got to adapt, yeah. you've got to change to your environment, and you've got to progress yourself. And that's something we we're continuing to do all the time. We're now a team of four. Um, guy works with me the last two years. I've got two cameramen and editors. Um, we're now not only making YouTube content, we're making Facebook content, podcast, obviously TikTok. Instagram, Twitter, it's expanded. The amount of content we make per week is mind-boggling. And just a quick anecdote, I'll just tell everybody now that I thought was class and we had a good laugh about, was the fact that how we look back at things that we were proud of or happy about was now it's the norm. So, for example, about two years ago, we shot a video with the help of Craig Salter, shout out Craig, uh, where Rick played 18 holes at St. Anzo Links, which was one club, which was a seven iron. Um, Craig edited it, Craig filmed it. It was a really nice piece of content. I think this was November of 17 it went out. 
Two weeks later, it hit 100,000 views, which at the time for the channel was very, very rare, to the point where Rick actually did a screenshot celebrating the fact that this video within two weeks had had 100,000 views. And that Instagram was a main Instagram post, which if you scroll down far enough, you can still find. Now, if we don't get 100,000 views in less than 24 hours, or even sometimes six hours or seven hours, we are not upset but it's like wow what, what's happened <laughs> yeah we certainly the the goals change what's the record we've had so far now in it, what it's hundred thousand in six seven hours no, no, uh, um, three and a half three and a half hours so we've wow. had the hundred thousand views in three and a half hours where you know and that's obviously you know we've had we've had videos that have had you know nearly forty thousand views in the first hour which is just crazy. Obviously, we, we continue to strive. We, we, we love every bit of it. And it brings us into what's coming up next. Obviously, we, I know we fast-forwarded a lot of the YouTube stuff there. And we might dive into it a bit more. You'll have to watch the film one time when, <laughs> I, bring, when I bring it out. Um, but yeah, what's next? We're going conti- to continue to evolve. Like I say, we've just taken on a new cameraman and editor um, who is... A, a he's all right. He's here now in the room. Fantastic attribute to the team. And it allows us now to make even better and more content which we're super excited about he does edit the podcast as well so he can he'll either big this up or chop it out um and hopefully can going to continue to grow we well not hopefully we are going to continue to grow we continue to make the best equipment reviews we continue to make the best entertaining golf videos whether that's playing with the world's strongest man or the mm. world's tallest golfer or interesting people we're going to continue to evolve the coaching elements of the channel and also, we're going to bring you stuff that you don't even know you want yet. But when it pops and when it drops, you are going to click it and you are going to thoroughly enjoy it. Wow, I'm inspired. <laughs> i tell you what, though, as well, I am super excited for is for the next podcast. Because we have got a lot of things that I want to ask you and put to you and change your mind that we haven't got stuck into for the last couple of episodes. And we have got a ludicrous amount of questions the next episode is going to be one of the most controversial in the history of the Rick Shields Golf Show podcast. Dun, dun, dun. Guys, thanks so much for listening. Make sure you do subscribe to the Rick Shields podcast, the fastest growing golf podcast on the planet. We're excited to continue bringing new episodes out every single Monday. Guys, thanks for listening. Stay tuned. Lots more to come. It's out from me and Guy, and we shall see you next time. See you later.